Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, Chris Evans here. Thank you for downloading this week's edition of the Best of the Breakfast Show podcast with Sky from Virgin Radio. Coming up, former Time Lord, now mastermind villain Peter Capaldi lifts the lid on joining the DC Universe in the new blockbuster, The Suicide Squad. Directing genius Edgar Wright spills the beans on his debut documentary, The Sparks Brothers, His Heroes, celebrating the inspiring five-decade legacy of the musicians' musicians, the band Sparks. And the giant of British comedy Tom Davis wows us with what's in store for the upcoming second series of King Gary and Sky Sports F1's David Crofty Croft takes a pit stop to get us all excited about the Hungarian Grand Prix. All of that and so much more on the way. Now, Deborah Dave, tell us who's first. From the stage to any size screen, our next guest always gets it right. DC's latest offering, The Suicide Squad, hit cinemas on Friday. And here to tell us more is a man for whom talking sharks and giant alien starfish are all in a day's work. It's the one and only Peter Capaldi! All right, Peter! Lovely to be here. <laughs> How are you? Very good. Peter Capaldi. Paul. Not Paul. I can't believe that oh, wrong. Can't believe that happened. Yeah, I'm appalled Shocking. at that. I'm appalled at what you just did. <laughs> Um, so he's seen the film. I haven't seen the film. That's all right. I don't know if, to, if I should pretend I've seen the film or whether you would rumble me in the first 30 seconds. Well, you've given it away now. <laughs> we know that you haven't seen it. But I'll tell you what I have done. Yeah. I've run through um, all the paraphernalia, all the fancy garb to do with the premiere this morning because I oh, ran yeah. through Leicester Square and they've, it's yep. a big deal. It's a big one, this one. It's a big deal, except it's not a premiere. Unfortunately, we can't have one because of the, the, the COVID restrictions. But what we've done is put a huge inflatable um, monster. Starfish. I know, I run, I run uh, under him today. Yeah, yeah, So we've got all the bits and bobs that you'd have connected with a, with a premiere, except for the premiere. But they, they have had them, you know, because there was one last week. Was there for what? Um, it was for a Brit flick that we... Oh, right. Okay, well, I think you'll find with the suicide as you, as you as you know, the Suicide Squad is a very star heavy project. Right. I see, got it. Uh, none of them can make it. None of them can get here. Okay, uh, so, so that's why you got so me. You, so you can have, you could have the premiere. It's just there wouldn't be anybody there to to pack. Well, I'd be there. You'd be there. <laughs> I, I would come. Um, Dave would come. Yes, as long as you practice Peter's name before okay. he came on the show. That's right, I will. <laughs> Oh, right, so because it's all in Leicester Square, because it looks like they're looks getting like ready the for like thing. a. Like, I remember Jurassic Park because there are premiers yeah. and there are premiers. Yeah, yeah. You know, and when you start messing about with Leicester Square, you know, given permission, when it's appropriate to do so, you yeah. think this is going to be a big one. But it's not actually going to, it's not going to be one at all. What do they have at Jurassic Park? Do they have dinosaurs, huge they dinosaurs? They dinosaurs. And also, they sent everybody who was going a Jeep, a, oh, wow. a, a chauffeur driven Jeep, and there were like wow. loads of people there. And so you had your own Jurassic uh-huh. Jeep for yeah. the night. I went to the premiere for Harry Potter, the very first Harry Potter. Oh, come Potter. on, tell us about that. Um, and in every single seat in the cinema, there was a box. There was a, a wand box, uh, which uh, <laughs> said it had a, a magic wand in it. Of course, all the kids opened up the box and there was nothing in it. <laughs> Why not? What? Surely they, that was... It vanished. No, but surely that was a mistake. Surely they'd just forgotten to put the wands in. They wouldn't just 
prepare the box. Would That's they? not. You could have put a chopstick in, couldn't you, and sort of passed it off. There as is a, a one shop in London, isn't there? There is a one. shop. I have no shop. idea. I think at that time Harry Potter, they didn't know whether it was going to be successful or not. Well, they so do now. <laughs> they weren't investing in it the way they were, would now. Right. The, the story about this film, anyhow, is interesting because we've been doing so. We've been having a look here because it's not a remake, but it is a remake. But it's a reimagining of something that happened in 2016, which is Suicide Squad. This is the Suicide Squad, and we think it might be the most recent. Um, reimagining of a film um, after the original because it's only five years and we're, yeah. here we are yeah so do you, how much do you know about that I don't know anything about it I saw the I liked the first one I thought the first one was fun I don't really know what the story is why there seems to be some notoriety attached to it I don't know what it is it made a a lot of shed money load, shed load I made a shed load of which money which sounds like the word you were going to say <laughs> and gets uh, everybody worried so yeah but it's really great it's good to say shed load I like a shed load of everything so so no matter what people might think of it it did make a lot of money it made 700 odd million dollars really wow did. yeah but was critically panned all oh, right okay I thought it was quite fun um but this, uh, James Gunn, who made this movie, I think, who, who, who is, I think, one of our kind of movie geniuses, uh, just wanted to make The Suicide Squad. He always loved this comic. And when he was given the opportunity to choose what he wanted to do, uh, he decided to do this. So it's made with great heart and enthusiasm from his point can of view. Because you, you're, you're so articulate. Uh, can, you, can you sort of, can you imagine here for us on the air what it's like making a movie you know, of this genre on this scale, is it as big as we all hope and wish it is? It's, absolute, it's absolutely huge. But this is the thing that I always think about these movies. Um, you know, they've got to be made with the enthusiasm of like a geek. Right. It's got to be somebody at the heart of it who loves it and who is able to endure, you know, getting up at five o'clock in the morning every day and facing, you know, a crew of 250 people, most of whom, you know, look like builders saying, oh, that won't work, Gav, this won't work, you can't do this, you can't do that. And trying to keep your, your love for their project alive through all that yeah, is yeah. the key to it. I used to see this with Paddington. I was did two of the Paddington movies and Paul King, who directed those, um, was absolutely amazing. I thought, how can you keep this love for this little bear alive when we're standing here, you know, and, and the rain is coming and the sun should be shining, the lights aren't working, the police want to move you on uh, and you sh it would be much better to be sitting having a cup of coffee somewhere uh, but you've got to keep it all alive um, so James does that you know in spades it's, it's but it's the level of skill the level of craft um, that's involved is extraordinary so I think with a lot of these big movies you get when you know People come out and sell them. We all like to say, oh, what a laugh we had, how hilarious it yeah, was. Yeah, and everybody yeah. falls about and Graham Norton saying how hysterical the whole experience was. But in fact, it's a gigantic factory that has to deliver this, this major uh, product at the end of the day. And somebody has to do that. And that's James. Yeah, um, and, and, and you guys and you know everybody around the wardrobe makeup everybody even oh, the people drive you in and the morning. I, incredible, you know, I was, incredible you saw me shaking my head there you know the production of anything that can be seen as opposed to anything that can be just yeah. heard that's why I love radio you know yeah. even like a weekly tele, tele show even like a chat show yeah, yeah. you know it's it's it makes you your headache you know well at one point on Suicide Squad I know there was 2,000 people working on it you know so all uh, have to be coordinated yeah, yeah, yeah. all yeah, have yeah. to be there for yeah. a reason yeah. you know and it's a 
chain and you're only as strong yeah. as your weakest link and it's oh so true yeah, yeah. and then if the chain doesn't break yeah. the stars all still have to be aligned for it to even have a sniff of being a hit in the first place hey it's great fun no of course it is, what it is you know what, what that's the amazing thing is that through all of that somebody through willpower yeah. you know creates this thing that's an, and that's the way with movies anyway that's what mo- that's what trying to do anything is isn't it yeah, yeah. you know creativity is a kind of struggle against the obstacles that you throw up you could just not bother you could just think oh i've got an idea i'll, I'll just I'll just go and have a latte and just doodle in a book. I won't actually go out and try and make something because that causes, you know, that's, that's hard. Um, but yeah, no, it's amazing. So it's, it's, it's a fun movie. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Musical bank heists, a zombie apocalypse and television that defined a generation. Our next guest just keeps hitting the right spot. His documentary debut, The Sparks Brothers, is in cinemas tomorrow. And here to tell us more is a director that's never wrong because he's always Edgar Wright. Good morning, Edgar. (laughs) What a lovely intro. Thank you. He's good, isn't he? He's very good. Unfortunately, now you have to put up with my questions. Edgar, uh, for people who don't know, um, give us the elevator pitch for the phenomenon that is the Sparks Brothers. Well, the tagline on the poster is your favourite band's favourite band. Because Sparks have been going for more than 50 years. In fact, their first album was 50 years ago this year. And they're one of those bands, even though they've had kind of hits over the years, They've usually been in different countries at different times. And I would say that they're one of those bands that are like massively influential in terms of, and in the documentary, you know, there's, if you haven't heard of Sparks before, you've definitely heard of the other artists who are talking about Sparks. So I just wanted to make like a movie to show like not only how brilliant they've been consistently for like half a century and also just show how influential they've been like to sort of music in all sorts of genres. Well, good for you, pal, uh, because the last time I looked, movies do not take uh, five minutes to make. So this is a huge undertaking. Um, What about the the risk and reward um, element of it in as much, you know, as your energy, your effort, your time and how many people might get to watch it? Was that a consideration of yours or did you just have to do this? I think it was that thing where um, I, I didn't have it on my like checklist of things to do of must make documentary. But I, I guess about three years ago or four years ago, I started saying aloud to friends of mine, somebody should make a documentary about Sparks. <laughs> so I kind of like willed it into existence by, you know, I kept saying that until one of my friends, a fellow director said, you should make the documentary on Sparks. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, I will. So and then I pitched the idea to Ron and Russell, Mayo from Sparks, and, you know, and they, they were, because they were fans of my movies, they said yes. And, and so it's something, it was something that was just jumping into the unknown a little bit because I'd never done a documentary before. But I, I felt so passionately, having been a big fan of music documentaries and having seen a lot of documentaries about bands a tenth as prolific as Sparks, I yeah. felt like these guys deserve, like, you know... Um, deserve everything so i really want to like sort of give them the you know the tribute they rightly deserve yeah i mean edgar i love it first of all um you know the fact that when we get people on this show and um, whether they've made a movie or they've written a book or whatever they might be up to and um, we just had um dr chris van tolikan on uh, talking about his latest podcast it's often when they've made something that they wanted to exist, but it didn't, so they had to, you end up getting yeah. the best product. I mean, that's pretty much the case with that, the films I make as well. It's usually, I'm, you know, it's something like a, a, the kind of film that I would want to see, or, or if it's a genre, it's like the kind of film that I miss. It's like, ah, oh, I wish there was uh, another film like this. 
you know, so <laughs> that's sort of the thing is they all, it all has to, because, like you said, because they all take, you know, minimum like three years to make, you've got to be really into it to yeah. do it, you know? So for people who aren't, don't speak Sparks, they are the minimalists that um, that became popular uh, but were a bit too much for anyone. So minimalists that are a bit too much for people sometimes. Uh, also, the enigmas, um, they were, were forever enigmatic but not not so secretive. I mean, you know, there is no... There is no playbook here, is there? Well, not one that we can recognise, but one that you try and analyse and um, uh, deconstruct for us. Yeah, I guess I guess the thing with them is that like they're so sort of they're so playful in what they do, and I think the thing about Sparks is they they themselves are really serious about being funny. In terms of, I don't think they that the, anything that they do is insincere. They love they love pop music. They're really like sort of, and, but they also love playing with the form. And I think sometimes, if anything has held them back from being as big as, say, Queen or something like that, it's because like some people kind of like don't know whether don't know whether they're supposed to be in on a joke or not. Yeah. And and you know, on the flip side, that that's the quality also for people like me that has made me like a total Sparks obsessive because. I even remember when I saw them on t- I saw them on TV for the first time when I was five watching Top of the Pop. Yeah. Um, when they were on with like Beat the Clock, and aside from the music, I just felt that, that even then at age five I knew that something was up because it was like this band that's like sandwiched between the Nolans and ABBA. I agree. Like they're staring right at me, and yeah. it, and you kind of feel like, am I in trouble? What's happening? <laughs> I know. I agree entirely. I agree entirely. They stood out. There was they were just awkward um they were like playful it was like they were somewhere in between um not so serious and perhaps cynical which is what you were alluding to there um yeah. you know and then you see the pet shop boys you know years and years later or yazoo or i don't know i mean you know name them all and you think oh I, you know gary newman you know stood stock still behind his keyboard um well vince vince clark says that in the film he he says that like Basically, Vince Clark says in the film that, like, himself, you know, the Pet Shop Boys, Duran Duran, countless others kind of soft cells sort of took the, you know, even just the aesthetic template from Sparks in terms of, like, you know, performing on TV in terms of having a moody synth player <laughs> staring, <laughs> staring at the camera and then the kind of energetic front man. You know, so it was definitely like, it was funny because, you know, those singles, I mean, and obviously they existed before that as well, but that was the first time I'd seen them was on, in 1979. But that sort of became the playbook for so many artists for the next 15 years, you know? Uh, thank you so much, Edgar. It's awesome talking to you. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. You're very welcome. Uh, sounds great, doesn't it? Do you know what? It sounds great, and it is great. It's the Sparks Brothers. It's available tomorrow on general release. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Dabba Dave, who's next on the show? Big, bold, brassy mainstream comedy isn't easy to pull off, unless, of course, you're our next guest. Series two of The Hilarious King Gary starts tonight at 9.30 on BBC One, and here to tell us all about it is his right royal highness, the diamond geezer crowd pleaser that is Tom Davis! Big Tom, live and direct from Crete, I'm hearing. Good morning, Tom. Yes, loving a bit of Crete. Well, I've got to say loving, but... I'll tell you, what I've realised is I'm a mild, sort of weathered, rainy, weathered pilot, that this heat is not great for a big man. 
He's not going for a big man. You want to you want to be pale and pink and big as well. It's even worse, Tom. I've got to tell you that. Um, so give give us give us the skinny on going away. What's it like to be away? Is it like is it is it different? Is it like nothing's changed? Did it take you a while to sort of acclimatise to the fact you were on holiday and you could just have on almost normal time? I think it took me three days just to realise the fact that it's like escaping. You know, I'm the Great Escape, the film. Yeah. It generally felt like that. Even though you go for all the laws, you know, I've been double vaccinated, but you feel like constantly at any time that someone's going to tap you on the shoulder yeah. and go, go on, off you go. I'm, I'm not everyone else in the country. I sort of, you know, cancelled holidays, not been away. So I sort of had a week window. I'm, I'm very fortunate. I've sort of back-to-back work this year and, and I was very fortunate really to to be able to grab a week where I could get away and just have a week away with the wife. So, King Gary, it's been a while. I mean, would that be down to lockdown? Has he been locked down? Do we see him coming out of lockdown? Is there any COVID references? What's going on with King Gary and um, coronavirus? Um, so, we, we, we like with the Christmas special, really, we never wanted to sort of mention COVID and the whole corona. I think everyone's, you know, you know I'd imagine anyway, I'm certainly sick of sort of hearing about it and, and reading about it. I think we, we wanted to make sure it's free of that and sort of, you know, hopefully when these things last, you know, these sitcoms, you watch them in three or four years' time. Yeah. You don't want to be reminded of what's been <laughs> an abhorrent sort of time. Yeah. So, um, no, it was, yeah, but but obviously filming, we were supposed to have sort of done stuff last year. Every, all filming's just been just been put back. But, um, no, no, I mean, I mean, Gary would have been an absolute nightmare in, in lockdown. I have no doubt about that. He would have been absolutely hell to be around. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's uh, it, was, it was just a joy to be back filming, really, Chris. I've got to say, I, I loved every minute of, you, you know, I think that's the thing with um, with our industry. It's you know, the sort of doing live stuff or, or filming, and you, you realise how blessed you are to be doing it. And it's so nice to get back and, and, and sort of being amongst it. Yeah, well, you giggle then when you said, you know, Gary would have been um, uh, an absolute uh, nightmare in lockdown. You giggled and you giggled because for Gary, see Tom. So how was Tom in <laughs> lockdown, and what what might have got into the script? Should Gary have experienced it on the telly? Well, you know what. A lot of it, did, like things like the skip, yeah. that was that that happened. I, I got a skip, and everyone took absolute advantages of the skip. I don't know if you've ever had a skip. The skip liberties yeah. are a big, big thing. Oh, I know. I, I know. got a skip, and and went around the neighbours and, and said, look, if anyone wants to sort of like throw sand in the skip, they're more than welcome. Let you know, but don't take liberties type thing. The first day there, Chris, someone's thrown a mirror right in the in the skip. But what they've done is they put an unbroken mirror in the bottom of the skip. That's the worst thing I've seen in humanity for a long time because someone else is going to have to break that mirror and be gone with seven years of first bad luck, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. No, Skip Liberty is interesting. We had um, three or four consecutive mini skips because that's another thing. What size skip do you go for? We had uh, three or four yeah. mini skips because uh, we had a new kitchen put in. Um, still a job that is ongoing, work in progress. Um, and, you know, and it's fun for a while. Our neighbours had a skip. I had a little look in their skip and I actually picked something from the skip. And I, oh, yeah, I, I, yeah, finagled it back into our house because it was a signed menu from Langan's, my favourite restaurant, signed by Yule Brinner. And I thought, well, I'm having that. Why would you throw that away? Wow, <laughs> why would someone throw that away? I don't know. They have lots of signed menus from uh, Langan's. You want to meet my neighbours? Completely different to Gary's. So you can imagine probably uh, how and why. Uh, so you tease us in the opening scenes. Of the first episode of Series 2, King Gary tonight on BBC One at half past nine. We think Terry and Gary are getting married. I mean, they are, but they're not quite getting married when we are we are hijinxed into thinking that's the case. Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, that was, uh, that was the director and co-writer, the guy I write with, James DeFront. He loves a little twist. So that's, uh, that's something for you. And we were blessed to have Charlotte Aubrey, who's incredible. She's an amazing singer. Um, 
she's uh, she's done like the Ellen show and stuff. But yeah, she she's a big fan of the show and uh, um, uh, one of Essex's finest uh, performers. So she came down and, and sang for us. But yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah, it was uh, yeah, uh, like a little rug pull. Yeah, but Gary and Terry are in the church and we see them in the pews, but they're not invited at all. Um, so what are they doing there? Uh, it's wedding tips, Chris. I don't know if you did this, but I, it's good to go to as many before you get married. Yeah, go to as many weddings as you can. Well, then went... you can see what other mistakes people are making. Yeah, I went. To, I went to two of my own before this one. That was interesting. I mean, that's <laughs> that's, that's, that's 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 taking research a bit too far, maybe. But anyhow, <laughs> moving swiftly on. Um, we can laugh about it now, of course. We can hopefully all of us together, hand, hand in hand. Um, no, but it's good, isn't it? It's a good tip. Go and recce other people's weddings, whether you know them or yeah. not. I mean, that's what's going on with Terry and Gary. Yeah, have a little sniff about. I mean, you haven't got to go into the wedding. Maybe just sort of look in from the door or a window. Um, but uh, yeah, it's good to, you know, Prosecco van. We found out about Prosecco yeah. van for us just by sort of going to another kind of weddings. Who but, does? Uh, yeah, good. Who doesn't want a Prosecco van? I mean, you know, oh, you win the Euro Millions tonight. I don't know what they are tonight, but you win the Euro Millions tonight. You pay for all these mortgages that you know and love, and then you get yourself a Prosecco van. next to go 24-7 next, Prosecco van. Yeah, to go next to your PIMS van. Oh, who doesn't want Because <laughs> the, the only place that does PIMS on draft last time I looked is Wimbledon, isn't it? I don't know what, I don't know why they don't do it anywhere else anyway. I know. I don't know. Do they do it in Crete? What's, what's big on the cold drinks in Crete? Come on, what's what's the big man been enjoying, Tom, over the last few days? I've been, I've been smashing back an old pineapple cooler of an evening, Come which on. is a bit of white wine, pineapple. Pineapple juice, yeah, it's beautiful. It's really a nice, sounds, uh, it's a nice blend. Sounds like sick in a glass, if I'm being honest. <laughs> Tom, it's great to talk to you. I love you. Um, come and see us when you Big can. Luck, um, um, I will do. Wish we were there. You probably don't. Um, <laughs> when are you jumping back <laughs> on a plane? When are you expected back in the UK? Uh, Sunday. All right, pal. Thanks so much. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. All right, we've heard from three cream of the crop guests already, but still to come. Rugby presenter Craig Doyle updates us on the British and Irish Lions tour with live coverage heard exclusively across the Talk Sport Network. Best-selling author Michael Pollan helps us to rethink our relationship with what we call drugs in his eye-opening book, This Is Your Mind on Plants. One half of the tip-top twins, Dr Chris Van Tullican, chews the fat around processed foods in his podcast, A Thorough Examination, with Dr Chris and Zand. Plus the wonderful Gabby Roslin and Sam Pinkham have a chinwag with Super Chef Simon Rimmer, who waxes lyrical about season two of his podcast, Grilling. So let's get right back to it. Dapper Dave, who's next? Max isn't happy with Lewis, Mercedes aren't happy with Red Bull, and we're loving every minute of it. That's right, the Hungarian Grand Prix is live and exclusive this weekend on Sky Sports F1. And here to get us up to speed is a man known for his love of going out on the goulash. It's Crofty! All right, Crofty, who definitely wasn't <laughs> in the shower. <laughs> Morning, Crofty. shower fresh at all. How are we all? Very well, very well. Really looking forward to the Hungarian Grand Prix, because I thought, in my mad half a brain cell mind, that we'd already hit the summer break so this is a bonus in, in you know on my purview for F1 and it's funny because I need you to um, help me catch up because I've completely forgotten Dave's intro gave us a bit of an insight into where we left off but uh, bring us up to date if you don't mind David uh, yes when we last uh, saw Max Verstappen he was heading off to Coventry Hospital for some checks after crashing into the barrier at 51G, 180 miles an hour at Silverstone. Red Bull think it was Lewis's fault. The stewards at the time thought it was Lewis's fault, gave him a 10-second penalty. Red Bull don't think that's enough, so they're going to see the stewards today to try and get Lewis to have a bigger penalty. And we'll find out at about half past four whether there's going to be an appeal 
uh, over the incident at Silverstone. Max says he wants to move on. Lewis is not saying much yet, but they're both going to be talking today and they're both going to be on the track this weekend because this championship battle has just got very, very tasty indeed. Red Bull is furious with what happened at Silverstone. Lewis is back in the hunt after the win and they've got about 600 metres down into turn one on Sunday to try and stop the talking, start the, uh, start the argument on track, and we'll see who comes out. Interesting, Crofty, isn't it? Psychologically, you know, who is going to be filled with more trepidation going into that corner? You would probably guess Lewis, bizarrely. Well, yeah, Lewis, Lewis is an expert in Hungary. He's right. won here eight times in the past. He absolutely adores this track. Max has never won here, and he's only finished, he's finished second in the last couple of years. Um, but Lewis is now on, on that wave of momentum after a brilliant Silverstone for him. So he knows he's back in the hunt, doesn't want to throw it all away into one corner. But he also knows that he's probably still in the, the, the inferior car when it comes to performance on track. So he's got to make the most of his, uh, of his opportunities. Hence, he needs to get in front of Max as soon as he possibly can at a track that's difficult to overtake. Yeah and then try and hang on for the, for, for the win. So, yeah, I agree with you. He's going to have a lot of trepidation. But also, because Max is in the lead of the championship, he's going to be feeling a little bit uh, uh, nervy going to that corner as well because he's got a lead to lose. So that, to me, sets up a perfect scenario for what could be an enthralling race on yeah, Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I think you're so right. And I think, because technically also, Lewis is on a bit of a yellow card, isn't he, really? Um, I don't want to trivialise mm. it, but he's sort of on the naughty step. Um, and I think whoever gets, gets on pole... Uh, I think whoever's second, they're just not going to want to cause another accident because we're not in the 70s, we're not in the 80s. And the world is watching, you know, and uh, post, post-race interviews now um, go much deeper and, yeah. um, uh, you know, much wider than they ever used to. And, you know, there's more in the chattersphere about races, um, you know, after and in between mm. than during. And I think whoever gets on pole will come out of that corner in first position because I don't think the other person, whoever that may be, will want to cause an accident. If indeed, they are one and two on on pole, which I fully expect them. I fully expect them to be because uh, they're the best two drivers at the moment. Saying that, though, third on the grid here in Hungary is not a bad place if you want to be leading into the first quarter. Yeah. And we've seen plenty of drivers go from third to first as well. The talking has been done by Christian Horner and Toto Wolff. The, the, the mudslinging is going on between those two uh, at the moment, and, and and Lewis and Max are keeping quite calm. But, but Red Bull were just incensed at the way Mercedes celebrated what Christian Horner told us on Sky was a hollow victory at Silverstone. I think he's wrong in that. It wasn't a hollow victory at all. It was a very well-fought race by Lewis Hamilton in the end. Um, but there's, there's just so much being set up. Uh, and I can't wait to see what then transpires on the track. And you mentioned it's a bonus race for yourself, but it's a massively important race as we go into that summer break. Yeah. Because the drivers are going to go and take a couple of weeks off and, and, and one of them, Max or Lewis, is going to have more of a smile on their face as they lay back on the sun lounger sipping pina coladas for a couple of weeks than the other, I think. See, in a way, you want to, you want to be third on the grid because if you just sit back and ease off, you never know what's going to happen in front of you. Ah, oh, yes. Um, it, it has happened before. And that's what Valtteri Bottas and Sergio Perez, who needs to buck up his ideas in qualifying, he's doing OK in the races, <laughs> not Silverstone, but he needs to buck up his ideas in qualifying. Or Charles Leclerc. Because Charles Leclerc could be right there on that second row and maybe leading a race for the second race running. I thought he was a superstar at Silverstone. Uh, and it was a bit gutting that, you know, with five laps to go, he got overtaken. But there's the brakes and he'll come back stronger for it. He's having a storming season. Ferrari are on the up. McLaren are on the up. Give it up for Lando Norris. 15 races in a row now. He has scored points. That's the longest ever point scoring streak for a McLaren driver ever. 
Daniel Ricciardo's back in the frame again. Oh, and Fernando Alonso. He's not doing too yeah. bad. Turns 40 today. Happy birthday, Fernando Happy Alonso. Birthday. Born on the same day that Charles and Diana got wed. Wow. Can you hear the drums, Fernando? Um, <laughs> do you know who I think is the biggest superstar in F1? Uh, go on. You. No. <laughs> no, I do. I actually do. No. I do. You bring it to the masses. You're amazing. Um, uh, let's get rid of this bromance now. It's making people throw up over the breakfast. Goodbye, Crofty. <laughs> the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. He's the rugby nut that's heading up Talk Sports Live in exclusive coverage of all three British and Irish Lions tests, and he's here to take us right into the heart of the scrum. So, friends, Romans, countrymen, lend us your cauliflower ears and listen to the wonderful Craig Doyle. <laughs> Good morning, Craig. Good morning. I want to be woken up like that every morning. Well, you, like you can for for a price. So, Craig, <laughs> apparently you're not in South Africa, um, but you are on the way um, via where? Uh, Wick, County Wicklow, Ireland at the moment. All right. Yes. So what's the yeah. British and Irish Lions vibe around where you live? Um, it's huge because obviously the British and Irish Lions are the best rugby players in England, Ireland, Scotland and Wales. So everybody gets excited. It's one of those rare moments when we all start cheering for each other. And uh, so everyone's popping around with their jerseys. Come Friday, they'll all be wearing their Lions jerseys around the place, just like in London and Edinburgh and yep. Cardiff and everywhere. And it's there's a great buzz about it. I love all the South African jerseys. I don't know if you noticed in London, a lot of South African jerseys being worn at the moment. Big community there. So it's lovely. It's like this kind of world Six Nations vibe that happens so it's very very special it is very cool now you have a preview show on TalkSpot on Friday tell us about that we have a couple of hours where we kind of build up towards the game with Ben Kay uh, the brilliant James Haskell and um, we just have a bit of crack talking rugby and uh, kind of giving everyone a bit of info rugby's complicated and confusing so we have to give them a bit of homework a few cog notes to get through the match the next day and then I think this Saturday we're coming from the Cabbage Patch Pub in Twickenham because last weekend we visited all loads of pubs around the country and everyone was just kind of having a great time watching the game. We decided to join them. So that's what we're doing this Saturday. Now, that's quite famous, isn't it, that pub for rugby? It is. It's not a. Sh- it's, a it's a short walk too, but a, a longer walk home, I have to say, to the Cats <laughs> Patch from Twickenham Stadium. It's a great pub, big outdoor area. And uh, it's just where everyone goes after games and has a bit of crack. You know, Chris, you've been to the big games. There's yeah. a lovely atmosphere. So um, we're just kind of checking in with all of that on Saturday and trying to hopefully get that on the radio. Right now, the game itself or, you know, the series itself thus far, we're 1-0 up in the test series after the tour matches. And I didn't get to see the game. It was we showed it on the big screen, one of the big screens at Carfest North. But thousands of people were in front of that screen. And the general vibe I was getting is that we nicked it. Is that about right? Yeah, I'd say that's right. Yeah, we were down at halftime, 12-3. South Africans. South Africans are like the school ground bullies. They're just big guys, big units, right? They're like tractors with legs, and they just go around and smash people. And they did that for the first half hour. And we picked a team, the Lions, we picked a team that was kind of a bit more dynamic and could play a bit of rugby, but it wasn't a day for that. It was the day to kind of bully them back, and that, that's what happened. In the second half, they just got a bit more physical, and we nicked it. They had two disallowed tries, and which is interesting because the television match official, the one who makes the ultimate call, was a South African, which caused a lot of controversy. And I guess they got in his ear a little bit and he disallowed two South African tries. So we shouldn't have won it, but we did. So this is huge. If we win this next match, there's only three games. We win the series, which is amazing. So it's all about momentum, isn't it, as always? Yeah. Uh, so it's better that we try and finish the job on Saturday. But for the sake of entertainment, it'd be great to go to a decider. 
you know what we all want to happen. Let's be honest. We want it to be a close game on Saturday and we want South Africa to win. And then we have the third and final test, one all. It happened against New Zealand four years ago. Do you remember that? And there was a draw in the end, an amazing scene with Sam Warburton at the end. We want that. We want the big decider, right? The big X Factor moment. So hopefully that will happen. I have to be, because you don't want to go into a third test when it's all done and dusted. No, really. not really. Not nah. really. You don't really want to show nah. tests because the hearts won't be in it. They'll, they'll, they'll say they are, but they just can't be. Not in the same way, at least. Now, Vassis yeah. wants to chat about um, the South African coach. Yeah, he's quite good value, isn't he, Razzy Erasmus? Razzy Erasmus. With a name like that, you've got to be good value, right? <laughs> yeah, so he's done, he's done this weird thing, right? Uh, so you know you've got a water boy. Usually one of your players who, who travels but isn't actually playing brings the water on. And what they'll do is they have a little earpiece and the coach will, get, will put messages in the rear like, tell the big lad to smash guys, more guys, or tell him to pass more, or tell him to kick more, or whatever. But Razzy Erasmus has decided, now he's the big boss, right? He's the big, big honcho. He's decided to be the water boy. So he's running on the pitch, right, giving water to the players during breaks. But the, what he forgot to do in one of the games was bring any water on. He had an empty <laughs> bottle, and they're like, he was just basically coaching the team from the pitch, which is disallowed. But he also goes on Twitter and starts kind of slanking yeah, people off. Has a pop. And saying, oh, he has a little pop. But he's only doing that trying to wind the referee up, that's all. Okay, so if we want to come and join you at the Cabbage Patch, we probably can't, can we? It's probably some kind of sellout or ticket out or something like that. No, come on down. <laughs> you say that, but... I've never, had a, I've never had a ticket thing in my life. Come on down. Okay, people. all right, listen. Well, I know you're loving it. Um, you know, and yeah. who would love going on a, a rugby pub crawl and the fact you survived? Do you, do you have a sort of... Um, do you have a strategy uh, for making it to the end of the day and still being able to speak? Or once the microphone's off, do you get turned on? How does it work? Uh, just go hard. Go hard. You don't. You can't go yeah, hard. Do. Yeah, do. Go hard. Really? Go hard, go strong, go long. What time hard, do you... Strong, you do, do you actually have a beer during the show? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so give us... No t- more than like three or four, though. Like, I'm not a lunatic. All right. Um, I, didn't, I didn't say you were, Craig. I didn't say you were, but you seem to... That, that word seemed to spring forth of its own accord. Um, but then we are talking about the British uh, Lions uh, and Irish Lions tour. So um, what time is the preview show on TalkSport on Friday? And what 7 time... 7 o'clock to 10. Right, yeah, 7, 7 to 10. 10 on Friday. Yeah. And then we're on air 4 o'clock on Saturday. And it's such a brilliant sport on radio. I know that sounds crazy, but it really is because we describe every little nuance and little smash and try and moment and tear. And yeah. it's fantastic. Well, yeah. or, or at least you think you do. Well, I don't know what's happening. I'm having a good time. Exactly. <laughs> good. <laughs> if you're having a good time, we're having a good time. Craig, great to talk to you, pal. Yeah, and you. Lovely to hear from you. Okay, great. great. What a lovely bloke. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. If you can't start your day without a coffee and have ever wondered why, our next guest is the man with the answers. His new book, This Is Your Mind on Plants, is out now. So listen up as we ayahuasca the right questions and opium he gives the right answers. It's the mind-bending marvel that is Michael Pollan. Good morning, Michael. Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm very well. Thank you so much for staying up or getting up at half past one in California to talk to us. This is Your Mind on Plants, uh, your latest, greatest book, Opium, Caffeine and Mescaline. It's divided into to three sections and I understand that that therefore provided uh, you with three writing challenges oh totally um, yeah the first one uh, was about growing my own opium which turns out to be illegal I didn't know that when I started uh, and I got into a situation where I, I finished a piece I wrote it for Harper's magazine uh, at the height of the drug war 
And uh, lawyers read it and said, you can't publish this. That's a confession to a federal crime. In the end, I did publish it, but I had to censor it. I had to take out two sections, one about how you turn opium poppies, which many people have in their gardens, into a mild narcotic tea. And the other was what it felt like to drink the tea. Um, so that act of self-censorship, I never felt good about that and wanted to uh, correct it. So this was my opportunity to publish the piece as it should be with all the uh, pages restored. It is really enjoyable. And you talk so knowledgeably about everything. You know, you, you begin to speak the language of neuroscience, which I know you've done before anyway, but it's beautiful. Mm. It's, it's also really funny as well. Tell everyone about the irony of um, the, um, the ladies from the Temperance Society who was fighting against the, the projected um, potential evils of alcohol took a break by doing what? By, <laughs> by drinking women's tonics that contained uh, laudanum, which is opium. Um, yeah, it was a very interesting. If you go back to the era of temperance and prohibition in the United States, it was illegal to drink alcohol, to make alcohol. But at the same time, it was perfectly legal to consume opium or morphine uh, and also to consume cannabis. Uh, these were sold over the counter in these women's tonics, they were called. Uh, it was kind of, uh, you know, just and, and women would kick back with these opium drinks. Uh, this is in the you know 1910s and 1920s. Um, and it, it's a reminder that the, the that the drugs we we consider evil now weren't necessarily that at another period in history. And that it's con the identity of these drugs, what's good, what's bad, is constantly changing as society changes. And um, so you know, right now in America. Uh, psychedelics are undergoing a change. Um, drugs like psilocybin and LSD are getting a second look as uh, possible therapies. So they're going from having been very um, demonized and disruptive to society to, to now becoming possibly an important treatment for mental health. Um, so I think that, you know, we have to understand that whatever you've learned about a given drug may change as, as society changes and as our understanding of what it can do for us changes. Drugs are tools. They're not inherently good or evil. Uh, they can be used in positive ways or negative ways. Even the opiates, which are creating such a crisis now, you know, killing uh, hundreds of thousands of Americans through overdose, they're a blessing to people with cancer. They're a, they're, you know, they're a blessing if you've ever had surgery. Um, and uh, so it's all about the context in which we use them. So in a world where alcohol is, you know, widely legal and destructive and um, generally bad for one's health if one... Um, does it in yeah. the wrong way and too often, and smoking is, and processed food, salt, oil, and sugar is now the most addictive thing on the planet. What's the problem? Yeah. Where's the and all those things are legal, by the way. Yeah, where's the bump in the road? Where's the barrier here? Well, you know, it's I ironic that uh, I don't think alcohol should be made illegal. I don't think you can war on drugs. I, I think the drugs will win. Um, it, you know, we have we have done that. We tried prohibition, and it was a failure. Uh, and we're trying prohibition of, of psychedelics now, and that too is a failure. Um, but you know, the irony is that psychedelics, uh, as scary as some people think they are, are much safer than alcohol. There is no toxic dose of LSD or psilocybin, um, which is amazing. And there is a toxic dose for many of the drugs you have in your medicine cabinet. Also, psychedelics are not habit-forming. 
Uh, you can't get addicted to them. They do have risks without question. And if they're used in a poor way with, with lousy set and setting, um, you can have a, a, a terrifying experience. Um, and some people have psychotic breaks on them. However, they are, as, as uh, psychoactive drugs go, they're remarkably safe. And that was a big surprise to me because I had, I had imbibed all that uh, all those scary urban legends about LSD that it would make you think you could jump off of buildings, uh, that you would stare at the sun till you went blind, et cetera, et cetera. But in fact, uh, they're uh, incredibly important tools. There are risks, as I say, but I think that the benefits outweigh the risks by a considerable amount. Yeah, it's just the network, you know, of um, uh, reducing that risk and introducing experts and guided uh, treatments um, is, is... Guiding is very important. Yeah. Uh, you know, anyone doing a high dose of psychedelics, it's very important that you have a guide, um, someone to um, be with you, keep you safe, make you feel safe, because... It, it requires a surrender um, to, to really allow the process to work. You're gonna have an, you're gonna sense your ego dissolving. Your sense of self may just completely explode into nothingness. And that can be terrifying if you're not with someone who can remind you that, you know, just surrender, it will get better, and it does. Well, I can't recommend your book highly enough. Uh, I have done, and I'll try to continue to do so, but I can't recommend it highly enough. This is Your Mind on Plants by Michael Pollan, uh, live on the line now from Southern California. Opium, caffeine, mescaline, a load of laughs in there as well, a load of fantastic pub ammo knowledge. Um, before you go, and we've only got 10 seconds left, Michael, um, can you just uh, reassure people that if they buy this book, it will not increase their chances of being arrested, despite some crazy um, <laughs> <laughs> old laws you're growing of opium poppies so uh hide it if the police come yeah all right cheers michael have a great day bye-bye the best of the chris evans breakfast show with sky virgin radio over to you dapper day how big you are why you eat what you eat and what's in the food you love no stone is left unturned by our next guest the new podcast series a thorough examination with doctors chris and zand is available now so join us as we present with a severe case of interviewitis it's dr chris van tulliken morning christopher i love that <laughs> <laughs> I should, i'm gonna start doing it like that on operation ouch you should you should I can take Dave with you. I mean, we, you know, reasonable rates. Um, you know, we get a cut, don't we? Yeah. I think so. Okay. We're on commission. So, uh, Christopher, um, this is very close to your heart, um, this brand new podcast of yours. Uh, just set it up for us first, will you, if you don't mind. So I went on a journey for BBC show called What Are We Feeding Our Kids, where I ate ultra-processed food for a month. And that was, it sort of became clear that ultra-processed food, which has a, it's a technical term, it's got a scientific definition, it's basically anything wrapped in plastic that has a funky ingredient that you do not have in your kitchen. So guar gum, xanthan gum, soy lecithin, you know, fatty acid emulsifiers. Um, that is the single cause for the obesity pandemic. Now, I have an identical twin who's 20 kilos heavier than me. We have been fighting about this for a decade and a half. And so I thought, well, I'll make a podcast and that will force him to lose the weight. And it's sort of about ultra processed food and the science of it, but it's really me trying to send my brother on a final binge in that kind of Alan Carr quit smoking method, like eat all this food while you speak to all these experts that I've set up yeah. and it will make it disgusting for you. In a kind of supersize me way. It's sort of like supersize me, yeah. 
Yeah. So it, it's exper- let it go. Just just stop forbidding yourself this food. Enjoy yeah. it. Eat it. And so the podcast is kind of you can eat along while you listen to people schooling you in how repulsive yeah. our diet is in the UK because this is sixty percent of what we eat. And is the is the plan to for him to bottom out? Yes, I think so. It's 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 the it's the go. You know, you're caught smoking the cigarette by yeah. by mum and dad. Smoke the whole pack. Yeah. That's the thing, but smoke the whole pack while you read the book on smoke. Now, we should all know better, um, but you, you heard what I was talking about before and the clips I was playing, various clips I was playing from um, amazing things that are happening in other podcasts as well as your own. Um, and one of the things mentioned in that conversation is the fact that education doesn't work, ultimately doesn't work. It helps massively. So it helps early adopters like us to get the bit, bit between our teeth, but then you can become uselessly uselessly preachy about it uh, but what might happen somewhere in the in the amongst the noise is that you put things in front of consumers that for example taste better and are cheaper than things um that are not as good for them and you so this is how you have to approach it isn't it so this is the ultimate fix so where are you on that journey so i i mean i I've spent my whole life giving advice. The last 15 years on the BBC as a, as a doctor on telly, it's all about giving advice. In one ear, out the other. And it's pointless. Yeah. Advice does no one any good. In it, especially with people who live with overweight, of which I'm one, or obesity, of which my brother is one. You know, these people, remember Cancer Research UK did that campaign, obesity causes cancer. Yeah. Everyone knows this. When you're giving advice to millions of people with a problem, you have to go, not what is wrong with these lazy people? That That's not the point. It's what is wrong with the environment they live in, yeah. whether it's that they're smoking or that they are eating uh, food that is deeply harmful for their bodies, and particularly children. I mean, children don't make a choice. They live in the world the adults create. So, yes, education is, I totally agree, of limited value, and that's why the podcast is not really very advicey. It's much more sort of, here's some stuff. But asking industry to solve the problem you know at the moment we have a food supply system which suits industry and the way we conceive of food which is in terms of its nutritional content it's fat and sugar that make us fat that's totally inaccurate it is the processing so we've had fat and sugar in our diet for ages and the environment we live in means that industry can endlessly reformulate so you start with full fat colas and then you go oh now we've got an obesity crisis let's make diet colas turns out diet colas drive obesity probably more than the original high sugar ones and then we can put fiber in them and then we can add you know phytonutrients and you can endlessly iterate according to the fad of the moment paleo keto low carb high fat and so we just get this cycle where all the food is increasing yeah. the process um, right so you and your bro this podcast is fascinating because you know it is almost um, sort of um, uh, master servant patient um, doctor uh, relationship but with the added twist of the fact you're, like you're, master servant. you're, you're twins and bros um, and so you can be more um, candid with each other and therefore with us as a listener to the podcast but also um, that has its challenges because um, there are some home truths in there and it's a learning process not just for, for Xander and you know his, his uh, dietary um, um, adventure or um, epic journey um, at your hand, but also for you. And you both, yeah. it's a journey of self-discovery for both of you. Can you talk, speak to that from, from both your point of views? Please? So, so I, I wanted a behavioural change expert, this guy, Alistair Kant, who's, who's a, he's like a magician. He's, he's a psychologist, but he, he teaches the police and social workers 
how to help families at the most extreme end of behavioral change, change their behavior. Their children are going to be taken away because of problems with drugs and alcohol. So he he's the last port of call for changing behavior. So I phoned him up and said, look, Alistair, can you just change Zahn to make him eat less? <laughs> and Alistair, I don't need to speak to Zahn. I need to speak to you. You are the problem. Right. And so part we've all, anyone who's in a family knows that dynamic of someone, there's some maniac in the family, in my family, it's me, right. just trying to regulate everyone and like stop eating that and you go and sit there and do... You're a and nuisance. I'm a, control, I'm a nuisance. Yeah. But that comes with, you know, control is the, the dark side of, of love or affection. But Zahn's sort of much more laid back. So the, that dynamic is very harmful and it emerges that I am really the architect of Zahn's weight gain in amongst all that. Because for him to lose the weight is to lose a 10-year argument with me. A thorough examination episodes one to four available now from wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, give us a couple of takeaways. We're way over time, but I don't care. Um, give us a couple of takeaways from it. It's not. Uh, what would I say? Re- what have you learned? Not your, it's not. Well, what? it's not. A, it's not a kind of advice giving. I. I, I didn't produce. The the, the. 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 It aims to have this magical effect on yeah. you. There is a hypnosis effect with it that I've. We work quite hard to create. Where as you listen, it will become disgusting. So my advice would be sort of don't don't worry about this too much. Stop beating yourself up. Stop feeling guilty. At the moment, we are living in a country that is to ultra processed food like we were to smoking in the fifties. Everyone's. We'd all have. Been sitting here smoking away and if I'd said oh could you put out your cigarettes that would have been weird and so just giving into the food listen to the podcast and stop beating yourself up and vote for change alright it's great to see you always Sauce. welcome on the show that microphone is always yours whenever you want it thank you Chris you're awesome the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky Virgin Radio our next guest has made thousands of dishes on live TV and now wants to hear about everyone else's his brand new celeb filled podcast Grilling is out now and here to give us some real food for thought on the weird, wonderful and downright bizarre recipes he's heard so far, it's Simon Rimmer. Good morning, Hello. How are you? Lovely. Do you know what? Your timing is perfect, Simon. <laughs> Do you know why? Why? Because uh, you've got to settle uh, an argument going on here, Simon. You are the man that knows everything about grilling. You know everything about cooking. Everything. You know everything, OK? You are the professor of it all. Yes. So, now... Sam Pinkham thinks that grilling and uh, griddling and barbecuing are all the same. They're not, are they, Simon Rimmer? Please say they're not, because that's what I say. Well, they're not. Okay, so so here's the thing. So barbecuing is all-encompassing. So uh, with barbecuing, then you can cook things quickly or you can cook things slowly. Uh, The grill is actually the the plate on a barbecue. Um, So whereas if you use your grill on your oven then you'll only cook things quickly on that. It's always about kind of high heat. And then griddling is similar to barbecue, but that, again, could only be hot, direct heat. No, I don't don't agree, I don't agree. No, so he's (laughs) Professor. He is the Professor Simon. So, Simon, I'm completely obsessed. I'm obsessed with barbecues, but completely obsessed. And if I could have a barbecue every single night of halloumi and corn on the cob, corn on the cob on the barbecue, I don't think there is anything greater. I, I, I absolutely agree with you. And then what do you do with it? When you put your corn on the cob on the barbecue, do you then brush it with anything? Do you yeah. then put anything on it? Go on, what I, do you have, do? I just put a little bit of um, uh, oil and some salt, but I put it on without pre-cooking it. So I go raw yeah. and straight yeah. on there. Oh, Yeah. OK, so next time you do it, rather than a bit of oil, are you, are you vegan or just veggie, Gab? Veggie. OK, right. I do eat fi- so- sorry, I do eat fish, yeah. Yeah, okay. So what, what you need to do is make yourself some miso butter. Oh, so I love it. Bu- 
Right, so buy some white miso paste, mix it with butter, and then when you, when you start to get some charring on your sweet corn, brush miso butter onto it. It oh. will revolutionise the way that sweet corn tastes. What's the difference between yeah. miso <laughs> butter and normal butter? Uh, well, basically, so miso is uh, fermented soy paste. So it's almost, you know, that umami that everybody talks about, that kind of that oh, fourth dimension it. of flavours, salty, it makes you feel a little bit exciting. You don't know what it is, but it's kind of like, it's like, it's like a really good snog. You know what I mean? So when you, when you, when, when you kiss somebody, you go, yeah, that's quite nice. But then you, when you properly kiss somebody, you go, wow, what's that extra dimension? That's what miso is. <laughs> <laughs> it's the snog of the butter world. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly that. So, yeah. so when, you become, when you become a chef or when you become a cook, when you realise you're a good cook and you love cooking and you want to become a professional chef, do you make a decision where the, what type of chef you're going to be, whether you're going to be a baker or a griller or a fryer or a roaster, or do you just, yeah, do you, do you have a, a, a sort of a, a preferred method of cooking? So one of the premises of... of the, the podcast is about that moment and the start of the podcast came when I was having a conversation with Tom Kerridge you know one of the greatest chefs in the UK and we were just talking one day and he said he'd been working in various kitchens and he read White Heat by Marco Pierre White and he said he read the way that Marco approached food and thought I want to be like him how does each episode work Simon how does it talk us through the format of each episode Sorry, say again. The each episode of your podcast, how does it work? Does it have a format to it? Do you, you, you ask five questions apparently to each guest. About well, barbecuing? basically, so the, so the whole on the hour-long podcast, we kind of do the, the background, the history, and then we do a little break in the middle where it becomes sort of a little bit barbecuey. So we do the same same five questions: uh, favorite things to barbecue, uh, any disasters, uh, best barbecue experience. Then we also give them a forty-five second um, recipe challenge where they have any cut of meat, fish, or vegetables. They have to create a rub or a marinade. They have to do a side dish and they have to do a sauce, and they have to sell it to me. Like they're on a kind of like a slightly erotic kind of chat line, um, and it and it's and it's really really fantastic. It's really good. And then we kind of do you know what got them where they were, how they like to cook, what the future holds. So it's lovely. So instead of you know what it's like, we're, we're on that situation where we interview people for six, eight, ten minutes, and with good guests, you think, oh, I'd love it to be longer. And the joy of all podcasts is the fact that you get to sit down and let people have a conversation and really sort of take it wherever it goes. And I think that, that's been the joyous thing about it, having a proper conversation with people. Um, is it true that you invented pulled pork? <laughs> yes. <Is it? laughs> you know what? It, this, is, this is so brilliant because we, we did, I did pulled pork on some of the weekend years ago. Yeah. Before that kind of thing, you know, it just exploded. Anyway, and so I don't know why. I think it just was right time, right place. And it was apparently, at the time, the most downloaded recipe. In fact, no, it was when we just started some, uh, Sunday Brunch. Most downloaded recipe on Sunday Brunch, including the likes of kind of Jamie Oliver and Gordon Ramsay. And I don't quite know why. Um, and so Tim said that I invented it. And it just went that. And then somebody changed my Wikipedia. And, of course, wherever I say it now... You always get huge. You know how joyous Twitter can be, and people go, "No, you didn't. It's been around for years and years and years." So, uh, yeah, it's it's the greatest story ever told. I and think, it's, and it's true, and we will stand by it. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly true. It. It's completely true. Yeah, they, they do it in the states now as well. Apparently, I've been over there, and apparently they do it over there. Yeah, but it's, it's very amazing. new over there. It's very new. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can, can I ask you just one last thing, if I may, because everybody turned their nose up when I said this. I'm obsessed with ice cream and I'm obsessed with pickles. I know you and I have spoken about my obsession for, with pickles before, but it's good together, isn't it? Ice creams and pickles. 
silence. What? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Simon, it works. Gabby, are you pregnant? No, I'm really not. I promise you, I'm really not. I've been there, done that. Seriously not. But pickles and ice cream, and they're now making pickled ice cream. Wow. 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 Oh, you have to do that on brunch. I get it. Do it on brunch next week. I am going to, Gabby, I promise you, I'm going to try that. I actually... I, I can see why it works. Oh, okay. I really, really Delicious. Can. But really? do you have a particular flavour combination? Well, see, I love pistachio ice cream. And so it okay. really works with pickle. Which which pickle? What? Pistachio what? Yeah. and, oh, well, pickled any, cucumbers. Any pickle, pickled yeah. cucumbers. Uh, okay, so, yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm thinking, I'm not, I tell you what would be nice with pickled pineapple. Oh! <gasps> Yes! Pickled pineapple. I'm, with I'm ice there. Cream. Yeah, Barbecue right. pineapple. Okay, I can see that. Barbecued yeah. pickled pineapple. I'm there. Simon, what oh, an absolute pleasure. Thank you, what my a lovely. Pleasure. Thank you. Lovely to speak to you. Take care. His podcast yeah. is called Grilling. Episode four is out tomorrow. Get it wherever you hear podcasts. See you soon, Simon. Take care. Bye, mate. Bye, mate. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.